If you'll join with me, our scripture reading today is from John 4, 1 through 9. In our Pew Bibles, this is page 888. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This is the word of the Lord. Someone's unhappy over there. I'll start preaching, she'll fall asleep. Uh, let's, uh, we're gonna go through chapter four. Um, I was gonna try to finish this chapter, it was just too big of a chunk for me to get through, so we're actually gonna stop at verse 42. Uh, I'm going to pick up the story at verse 10 and, and read the rest uh, down to verse 42 so that we have that as a reference for our minds. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in truth and spirit, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? 
Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have not and have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What starts at Jacob's well with this woman of Samaria ends up being this citywide awakening. It's this spiritual revival that happens, and if you imagine if you had that same amount of one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus as this woman did, how that conversation would go. And so this conversation Jesus had in Sychar with this woman is the longest recorded conversation Jesus has with an individual. I don't know if you realize this, but this is the longest conversation recorded that Jesus had with a person. And verse 8 tells us, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And so they left, they left Judea for Galilee, and by the time they reached Samaria to Jacob's well, they've already walked several hours. And this was a very, very well-known well that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And it's this place that Jesus sat while the disciples went out to buy food for lunch in the city. And so Jacob's well is this very meaningful place to Christians. And this is a, a place of Jesus's ancestors. And this is where Jacob heard from his father that Abraham's servant, Eleazar, found Isaac, his wife, Rebecca, in Genesis 24. So this is that reference if you want to look at that story. It's Genesis 24. The conversation in Genesis 24 is like that of John chapter 4. If you kind of put them together and read them in parallel, there's a lot of similarities there. And you look at chapter 24, verse 17 of Genesis, and it reads this. Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And you look at John chapter 4, verse 7. Jesus says, give me a drink. In Genesis 24, Rebekah not only gave water to Eleazar, but she also provided water for his camels. And this was a, a sign that this was going to be Isaac's wife. And so this, this is the, the human lineage of Jesus. And if this event doesn't happen, there would be no marriage between Rebekah and Isaac, and therefore no Jacob, and therefore no Jesus incarnate or human Jesus. Another similarity between the stories in Genesis 24 and John 4 is this willingness of the women to go. Genesis 24:58, and they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. And similarly, in John chapter 4, this is essentially the question that Jesus had for that woman from Samaria. Will you go with this man? Will you go with me? Will you believe in me? Now, I'm sure Jesus saw her coming from a distance from the town. She was walking up to this well, and it's noontime, so it, it's hot. And she gets to this well to draw water, and she must be wondering, what is that guy just doing there, sitting here in the middle of the day in this hot sun? I visited this site 
We don't know if it's actually Jacob's well, just like many of the sites in Israel. There's like, this is the site, but they don't really know. Who knows? I just remember that it was very hot. It's, it's very hot. And wherever they think Jacob's well is within the vicinity, it's hot. No matter where it is, it's hot, right? So here's this woman walking in the middle of the day. It's hot, and, and there's Jesus sitting out there by himself. And she must be wondering, like, what's that dude there? And Jesus is like, oh, here she comes. And it's just this really strange occurrence because this lady is not used to people being there when she's going to draw water. And this is something to keep in mind when we are sharing the gospel or when we're sharing the good news. This is something to learn about evangelism from Jesus himself. Actually, there are many lessons to draw. You're going to draw more of them as you read them, and I'm, I'm not going to cover every single one, obviously. I, I, I can't. You're going to get some insights that I won't be able to glean just from one study. But, but one of them is we'll have to go where the people are to meet them who don't know Christ. They're not going to walk into this church, right? We're, we're going to have to go to those wells to find those people to, to share this good news. And we'll probably be uncomfortable. It might be a, a sun beating down on us, or it might just be us really hungry after walking several hours. It's not going to be a comfortable thing. Now, the Jews didn't walk through Samaria because they thought they were a cursed people. They would rather take a different route and not walk through Samaria. And yet Jesus decides they're going to walk through Samaria and they're in the, the heat of the day. And then you're going to notice throughout this entire story how resistant this woman is in this entire interaction that she has with Jesus until the very end. She's very resistant until this whole thing. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She doesn't seem all that willing to interact with Jesus. And this conversation seems to be a, a reluctant one from her. And, and she just wants to get water. She just wants to do what she usually does, get the water and go home. But then here's Jesus who's kind of uh, hindering her from doing what she wanted to do. And so her intention is get the water and not have this conversation with this strange guy like just sitting out here in the middle. It's, again, this is weird. And then she can tell by the way he dressed and by the way his accent is, like, this guy's a Jew. So this is really weird. Like, what is he doing here? Jews don't come out here. But this is evangelism. This is us sharing the news with people who don't know Jesus. See, people aren't usually that eager to talk to me about Jesus. We can talk about lots of other things. But as soon as it kind of curves into this spiritual realm of Jesus, and it's just kind of, I can tell by countenance or their body language, like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Quite honestly, it's uncomfortable for me too. Like, I, I, I can talk about, like, food forever. And I was just, well, let's talk food, like, easy. Well, then we get here, like, my mind's going, like, okay, I kind of think through, I'm praying, oh, God, what am I going to say? Oh, God, open, opens some doors, open their heart, like, soften their heart, like, I, I'm, like, it's really taking a lot of energy, right? And people don't have that intention when they go out to go do whatever, walk the lake or go shopping or whatever it is to talk to somebody about these spiritual things. 
And the other thing is we, we might look and sound different from them and, and then they kind of wonder like, why are you talking to me? Like we look totally different. And we, so one of the things that I, I get quite often is when I talk to people and they, then they find out I'm a pastor eventually, it's like, oh, you don't look like a pastor. I, I take that as a compliment. <laughs> but this is like, this is our story, right? This is our story when we're talking to people. This is the discomfort and like all these kind of things and finding us in an odd place and all this kind of stuff. This is evangelism. Think about when you first met Jesus and, and how that happened and, and that encounter. How was that encounter with the person that shared Jesus with you? My, my evangelist was my dad. And it was strange because I was just at the dining table and then here's this guy like talking to me about Jesus and yeah it's my dad but like all of a sudden it gets serious and it gets somber and it gets and like and I'm gonna, I just wanted to eat like I just want to eat and here we are and then aside from wanting to eat I just want to go play my Atari 2600 like you know that's what I want to do um, some of you in my generation are smiling and others are like what is Atari 2600 it's better than PlayStation um, or maybe you've even experienced some re reluctance or resistance with Jesus right now. That you're just in these conversations and you're just in a place where, you know, I, I, I just don't want to hear that. I, I don't want to deal with that. Maybe you don't really know who you have in front of you. Take a look at verses 10 through 12. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So you get the sense of this resistance of this woman, like telling Jesus, like, dude, you're out of your mind. You don't even have a bucket. Like, how are you going to get any water, living water? Like, give me a break, right? And so she's trying to put Jesus in this more humble place, this humbler place, because she, she doesn't notice anything all that special about Jesus. He's just this regular guy that looks like a Jew and sounds like a Jew and it's kind of weird that he's just out here in the middle of the well and he has it's for water obviously but he has nothing to get water with and so she has no idea who he is and that he can transform her life. And this is how many people look at Jesus. This is how many people look at us who reject Jesus. You're sharing this stuff and they're just looking at you like you're strange. What are you talking about? You don't even have this. You don't even have that. And they have these things running through their mind of like, how can you even say what you're saying? And so there are several strange things happening in this story. One of them is that they're having this conversation at all. Because typically a pious Jewish man would never be caught in Samaria. And even outside of Samaria, a pious Jewish man wouldn't have a conversation with a woman in a public place like this well. That wouldn't happen. In fact, they wouldn't even talk to their wife or their daughters in these public places. It just was kind of like taboo. That's not what they do in these sort of public places. And yet Jesus is having this full-on conversation in Samaria with this woman. It's, it's the strangest thing, and people hearing this story are going to be thinking, like, he did what? Now, at this point, she doesn't know who she's talking to. 
We know, when we're reading this story, we know that Jesus is the word that was sent from God, that he turned water into wine at this wedding in, in, in Cana, where he blessed everyone who was in attendance, and he saved the bride and the groom and, and the family just from the shame and the embarrassment of running out of wine, wedding wine. And we know from the story of Nicodemus that people can be born again with Jesus, that we can have this new start, this new heart. And here Jesus is offering this to this lady. He's offering living water. And Jesus wants to offer this living water to her, but then she's resistant. She challenges him, and she's like, living water? You can't even get the water down in the well. Who are you? Can you think that you're greater than Jacob? You're a Jew, like you guys are descendants of Jacob. You think you're greater than him? This is his well. And, and no one is greater than Jacob here. Everyone knows Jacob here. Nobody knows you. This is named after him. Who are you? And thank God he's so patient with us. Because Jesus is so patient with her here. Even when we misunderstand him, Nicodemus had no clue about being born again, what we talked about before. Even though he was this religious leader who was very well educated, really smart, and this woman has no clue about living water, even though she's living off of this water that she draws upon every day. Now, at first, it seems like she wants nothing to do with Jesus, and so what she does is she tries to draw this dividing line saying like, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Do I need to remind you? Like, we should be done now. Like, stop talking to me. Then the next communication is just one of confusion from her. And she's like, living water? And she's like, dude, you're crazy. What are you talking about? And so her response is similar to Nicodemus's response. If any of you weren't here with the Nicodemus sermon, just listen to that one as I'm referring to that. But with Nicodemus, Jesus used this language from the scriptures, right? He knows Nicodemus is a, a scholar, and so I'm going to share scriptures with him and speak his language. And that here, Jesus changes his language to fit this circumstance with the woman at the well, but they both don't understand no matter how Jesus is speaking, whether it's like very academic or it's kind of more common vernacular. And he, Nicodemus, asked Jesus, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Like he just doesn't get it. Now this woman doesn't have the same education as Nicodemus, but equally as blind, so understanding Jesus isn't a matter of education, gender, ethnicity, race, age, because they both don't understand and they're both very different people. It has nothing to do with those things. And yet Jesus is patient with everyone, us included. Now something for us to remember about people that we share the gospel with is they'll often not understand us. You might think, like, I delivered the most clear message. Like, the, that, I couldn't be any more clear. I couldn't be any more simple. And then you look back at it and, like, was it what I said? Was it my delivery? What was it? What, what was it? And sometimes it's nothing that you did wrong. You did everything right. You, you, you said it right. You were kind. You were welcoming. You, you said all the right things. But it's, sometimes it's just the recipient. They just can't hear you. And we just need to be patient with that. 
Now look at verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so here Jesus is speaking of the water of his love, of his grace, that he gives life to these dried out souls, that he's going to water these dried out souls. He's going to hydrate them and bring life to them. And at first she doesn't want to do anything with Jesus. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, let's divide this line. And then secondly, then she just doesn't understand what he's talking about and, and she's confused about it. And she's like, I understand we all need water to physically live, but then this living water? I, I don't get this at all. What are you talking about? And Jesus is trying to tell her, okay, that's physical life. This is spiritual life, and I'm providing you living water for a spiritual life. And so how did Jesus address this? Now, it would seem to me that explaining this would make sense, like further explaining like what is living water, right? And explaining the water that Jesus speaks of, that in her will, there will be a springing out of this water like a well, and this will give you eternal life, and then, and then try to expound on that, explain that. So why does Jesus then jump over to addressing her husband? Like, what's going on here? Why make the jump over there, Jesus? It's because of this. It's why she's there. It's why she's at the well in the middle of the day by herself. See, Jesus knows our, our deepest hurts and pains and longings and sufferings and things and what's causing us to do what we do. And so he knows, like, I am addressing your husband because this is why you're being ostracized by your community. This is why you have to hide yourself from their ridicule and you feel shame and you feel guilt. So I'm going to address that. I can't keep talking about this living water thing because I need to address that. She can't go there when everyone else goes there. They don't have these moments now in offices, I don't think. The water cooler talk, like the, there's no such thing as that anymore, right? Like you, you just go into filtered water and then you leave. They used to have like water talk, right? And so people would gather in the office and you'd kind of talk over coffee or water and things like that. And this is kind of like when women went out to the well. Going out with your buddies, we're going to chat without these guys over our back and we can talk whatever we want. We can like just kind of chat and catch up on things. She can't do that. She doesn't have the friends to do that with because if she did, those friends would also be ridiculed in terms of saying, like, why are you with her? So she has to do all of life kind of by herself. She's, she's alone, except for this guy that she's living with. And so Jesus knows that she's resistant, and he's letting her know at this moment, I'm not ashamed to talk with you. I'm here because I knew you were going to be here by yourself. Like, I know that you don't have anybody. And I'm here to talk with you. I know why you're ostracized. I know why you're ridiculed. And I'm not going to do that to you. And I have something that's going to free you of that. Even though you think, like, we're separated, that I'm a Jew and you're a Samaritan. Even though you think I'm out of my mind because I'm talking about this living water thing but I'm here for you. I'm here for no one else. 
And that water that you're drawing for yourself and for that man, you're just going to be thirsty again. You're going to come back here tomorrow and do the same thing with no community, just to draw water for you and that guy. And it's going to be over and over and over again throughout your life until you're too old to even do that anymore. And it's just this vicious cycle that you're going to have to endure. And you're not going to be able to break out of it. You're just going to keep coming here, doing the same thing, because you're ashamed and you're embarrassed. And that thirst will never be quenched. You're going to have to just keep on doing that. And the two of you will just keep drinking that water that keeps you in bondage to why you're coming out here by yourself in the first place. You'll do this your entire life. No end in sight. That's hell. Right? That's hell. And then she doesn't seem to want to go there. She doesn't want to talk about her personal life. Take a look at verses 15 through 18. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So she, like Many, many people struggle with denial. And her quick answer is a truth. But this truth is meant to mislead Jesus. And it's birthed out of this guilty conscience that she harbors. And you know how this is with people, right? You, you know how this is because you talk to them and then they just have this quick story to tell you as to they've already kind of planned it out. Like, oh, if I get asked these questions, I'm going to have this, this rebuttal. And, and some people do this at the church quite frequently. Like they'll come in and they'll ask for something, usually money. Now, sometimes it's a legitimate ask, but I have to admit to you, unfortunately, most of the time it is not. The vast majority of time it's not. And the way that they come in is they come in and they tell this story and it's, it's a truth, but it's meant to mislead us. And that's often the case. And here's the same thing. And, and so in order to discern, we usually have to have a deeper conversation so that we can go into a deeper truth. And th so through this discerning process, then we'll be able to hear that guilty conscience come out of someone or that will hear that self-defensiveness or that, that self-justification. And so you'll often hear this phrase, I'm not, or, or I don't. When you're like asking these questions, like you'll, you'll get this defensiveness. And so the way that this woman answers is, I have no husband, but yet Jesus knows. See, there's no manipulating Jesus. There's no tricking Jesus. And the question is, why do that anyway when somebody already knows all the answers? There's no point in that. And he was at this well to minister to her. So obviously he's there to minister to her. He, if he didn't intend to do that, he wouldn't be there. So what's the point of not being completely honest with Jesus when he's face to face with you? Because obviously if he is there, he's there to minister to you. He's not there to like... Say, gotcha, now you go to hell or whatever. 
he knows everything anyway. And if he didn't want anything to do with you, you wouldn't hear from him. And so it seems that she has this really unhealthy pattern of failed relationships over and over and over again. And if it was all fine, then why are you hiding yourself in broad daylight at this well getting water by yourself if everything's fine? And it's the same thing with a lot of people, right? They're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Then why are you where you're at? And so Jesus is addressing the problems that are causing this unhealthy pattern, which are evident symptoms of her spiritual dryness, that she's completely spiritually dry. Now, Jesus isn't exposing this sin because he's just a mean guy. If he was malicious like that, if he was mean, he could just go into the city and this would be even more mean point her out to everybody and publicly kind of shame her in front of everybody and say, like, you guys know who this lady is? He does not do that. He has complete compassion for her. He wants to heal her. And in order to do that, he does have to diagnose her. Now, something to keep in mind for Christians. It's really important. Sinners are not our enemies. You don't have to go pointing out their stuff and then making them the other. They're not our enemies. They need Jesus. That's what they need. And so we need to see this spiritual need and then we have to have this compassion for them. That they are in spiritual bondage and they need to be set free in Jesus. And it won't be found going from relationship to relationship like this woman. It won't be found with other means, whatever that addiction is. Then, you know, those addictions are not going to provide for lasting satisfaction. And so for this woman, five husbands is not going to heal you. It's only from that living water that you're going to be set free. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, it reads this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters, and hewned out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And then you look at Jeremiah 17, 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. People have forsaken the fountain of living water. And that is a key symptom of a spiritual sickness that Jesus wants to address in your personal life. And so we give these excuses when we're talking to people, when it gets too close to where, you know, that's a sensitive spot, and we'll say something like, that's personal. And that's a personal thing. And that's my personal choice. I choose to do that. So leave me alone. That's my personal thing. And in verses 19 through 24, this woman is still putting up a fight with Jesus. Look at verses 19 through 24. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him 
must worship in spirit and truth. Do not be surprised by resistant people when you share the gospel with them. Don't be surprised. Because this is Jesus himself, and Jesus is dealing with this resistance. He's dealing with straight-up rejection. And here is a rebuttal we get from many people about Jesus and Christianity. It's this. Yeah, sure, Jesus. Sure, Jesus is a prophet. He's a great teacher. But, you know, there are a ton of prophets. There are a ton of teachers in so many religions. There's so many. And so it's just opinions. It's just anthropology. It's just where you were born, our culture, and, and where we are from. And, and that determines what kind of religion you grew up with and what's surrounding you. So you do what you do in Jerusalem, and we do what we do in Samaria. You do what you do in Christianity. I do whatever I do in whatever I believe. It's, it's my choice, I, I, and I believe whatever I believe. How many of you face that sort of a thing? Or it's just like, we'll agree to disagree, and you just do what you do, and I'll do what I do, and then that's that. But again, Jesus is so patient, and he explains to her God's purposes, and that there is a day coming when God's purposes will be accounted for, and God will be worshipped in its spirit and truth, and she answered like a lot of people do. Yeah, it's spiritual. God loves everyone. I believe that too. It's great. God is good. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So she's just repeating what was commonly said at the time. Because she personally did not believe in Messiah, nor was she looking for Messiah. She's just saying, yeah, we'll see. God is God. Go, I believe in God. You know, everyone believes in God. And... It's all going to come out good when, when God reveals it. It's all going to come out good when Messiah comes back. She's just saying what is commonly said in Jerusalem, in Samaria. She's just common, saying what's, what's there. So she, what she's trying to do is she's trying to push this off. She's trying to end this conversation. It's kind of like that saying that people say often, right? We'll just agree to disagree. That they're trying to end it. They're trying to like, well, let, let's stop. We're, we're, we're not getting anywhere. Well, let's stop. And then, so verse 26, Jesus says this, I who speak to you am he. You said you're wait for Messiah. Here I am. Like, here I am. And so now it's like, all right, you can't put it off anymore. Right? I am Messiah. And so Jesus is asking her, just like Rebecca was asked, will you go with me? Will you go with me? And it really seems as though she did. Take a look at verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard it for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world this woman who used to purposely avoid people by getting water in the middle of the hot day is suddenly going back to the city and talking to everybody 
you see the deliverance that her, her past doesn't keep her in bondage anymore. She once talked to no one, and now she's just talking to everyone and asking them, can this be the Christ? And what's so simple about her message is she is just giving them her testimony, what she experienced, what Jesus said to her about revealing everything, and then she's just asking, can this be Christ? That's it. She didn't take tons of theology classes. She didn't go through evangelism workshops. She didn't do any of that stuff. She said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And so now she is symptom-free from her spiritually diseased state. That she's born again. She's transformed. And you know you are symptom-free when you know that God knows everything about you and you've been set free from that spiritual bondage. That you're free from that guilt and that shame and of your sin and you witness to others about those deliverances because of what Jesus did in your life. That Jesus knows everything that I've done, that I've ever done, but then he treats me like no one has ever treated me with that compassion and love and tenderness and grace. You knew everything. You all knew I used to hide from being around you by getting water at this well by myself so no one else would be out there with me. You all knew why I went out there by myself and no one ever went out there with me. No one went out there to talk with me. No one went out there to see how I'm doing and what's going on and, and why I was causing so much damage in my life and why I had these unhealthy patterns. No one cared. They just let me go out there by myself. But now I'm here to tell you that guy met me out there and he gifted me this living water that quenches my soul. I'm not thirsty anymore. Did you notice that she left that water jar at the well and she went into town without it? I mean, that was her purpose. I mean, she's probably still thirsty going back without the water. But she knew she wouldn't be thirsty anymore. My thirst is quenched. Jesus quenched that. How? There's another story in John, towards the end of John, where he writes about thirst again. And it's in the same noon hour, but this time darkness covered the face of the earth. John chapter 19, verse 28, it reads this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. You see, Jesus carries our thirst. The thirst that the woman had in the well, he's carrying that thirst. Every single thirst that you and I have, he is carrying that thirst on the cross. You have to look at Jesus carrying our sin on the cross to understand this thirst that this woman speaks about, that it's being quenched. We have to look at Jesus' death on the cross to be able to understand how Jesus was able to say to her, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's only because... Jesus thirsted and took that thirst from you and me. 
The question is, are you still thirsty? Are you still stained by sin that you cannot wash off? Whether that's unhealthy patterns in relationships, whether that's addictions, whatever that is, that just, you can't get rid of it. Jesus can take that thirst away. He can wash that stain away. He's the fountain of living water. If you believe and you do not forsake him, you will never thirst again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, that thirst mechanism that you've built in us um, physically, biologically, such a rich picture in terms of, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to live uh, without water for very long. And yet there are so many people who are spiritually thirsty and they're spiritually dying. And yet we have this living water to share with them. I ask, Lord, that you would equip our church with a boldness to share your good news, that you do offer living water. I pray, Lord, that people will have ears to hear, that their hearts would be open to you to receive of you. In Jesus' name, amen. If anyone is wanting, needing prayer, uh, Mike will be in the front pew there. Mike is one of our elders. He'd be honored to pray with you. If you need communion elements, just hold up your hand and we can get that over to you. Um, we'll start with this wafer symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us. We see Jesus on the cross. Uh, we'll get to the fruit of the vine later in addressing the thirst part, but this symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us. Now, if you have things going on in your life where there's an inconsistency with your life and Christ, well, deal with that. Deal with that. Whether that's someone that's, that you've wronged and you need to kind of restore things or reconcile things, deal with that. Let's take this together. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us. That even though he thirsted, he was still spilling blood. But we thank God for taking upon our thirst, all our sins upon himself for forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, thank you for communion. This regular reminder to us of what you did. Of your offer of living water to us. We ask God that, that we would see that clearly. You already know everything. And yet sometimes we're so resistant and we make excuses and we say it's personal or we just say like all religions are the same. We have all these different excuses of pushing you away. And yet you know the very fear, the very pain, the very thing that we're having to deal with. And you touch on those subjects. You don't brush those under the rug. And thank you for your patience and for loving us in Jesus' name.